Welcome to Dream Business Radio, the place to create your dream business now. Get ready for some inspiration, some encouragement, some proven business building strategies, and a couple of new ideas that you haven't even thought of. It's time to leave slow and steady as she goes to the other entrepreneurs, because this program is all about speed and fast results. And now, broadcasting from his floating home somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, the dream business coach himself, Jim Palmer. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Captain Jim Palmer, the dream business coach, coming to you from Marathon in the Keys. So we have been totally uh, loving life down here over the winter. Uh, but I was just telling my guest, Steve, we're getting ready to head north again, back up to the beautiful Chesapeake Bay. Got a really great guest today on a topic that is uh, near and dear to my heart. If you, you're very familiar with my story. Steve Lowell has been speaking and performing on the stage since the age of six. That's <laughs> like 53 years ago, if my math is correct. He is from Ottawa, Canada. Steve is an award-winning global speaker. And for over 30 years, he's been training and mentoring executives, thought leaders, and professional speakers around the world to deliver high-impact keynote speakers, speeches, and also drive revenue through speaking. He's a multi-award winner. He's, he's published books like myself. And I just think this topic is so important. If you're an entrepreneur, a small business owner, you have to learn how to speak. Steve, how, how are you doing today? I'm doing really great, Captain Jim, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. And uh, I got to tell you, I'm a little envious of, uh, of you being <laughs> on your boat at this time of year. You know, in Ottawa, Canada, it's still, you know, lots of snow here and it's a little different experience than what you're having down there. Yeah, yes, indeed. And um, as, as I tell my wife all the time, I've shoveled my last driveway. So hopefully <laughs> uh, we'll always be able to go uh, to warmer climates. In the wintertime, but um, yeah, when your um, when your one sheet came across my desk and I get pitched all the time and I'm like, oh, I, I just love this. I haven't interviewed somebody who's both a good speaker and also mentors and and coaches other speakers. And so at the age of six, I mean, come on, what was that? Was that the, the giving a speech for the Cub Scouts? I mean, what were you uh, doing no, at six actually, years old? I was a musician. I was uh a bit of a young guitar prodigy. And so I started playing in front of an audience at the age of six. And then, wow. yeah. And, uh, and then as time went on, you know, I formed a band and I became the front man of, of the band. And that's how I started to learn how to speak in front of an audience. And then by my early twenties, I was a professional speaker. Well, so what happened? So did, as you know, my, uh, my oldest son, who's now 40, you know, was a got out of high school and, and hit the road and then he got tired of eating soup out of cans. So did you have a similar thing? You loved music, but you found out it wasn't going to be your living and that's how you became a speaker. What was that transition? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the transition. And I love that, you know, is eating soup, soup out of the can brings back a lot of memories because, you know, in, in the speaking business, uh, as you know, as I'm, I'm sure you're aware, Jim, you know, there's basically two camps. Okay. There's the soup out of a can camp and there's the steak camp. Uh, yep. And I was definitely in the soup out of a can camp. And then, <laughs> And so, and I knew that. And by the time I was in my, you know, mid to late teens, I was trying to starting to think, you know, I don't think this is going to go where I want it to go. And then what happened was I stumbled across a video by, you know, Zig Ziglar, whom pretty much everybody in yeah. personal development and business knows. And it never occurred to me that I could get in front of an audience without all this equipment and, you know, without all of these, these bandmates and, and, and actually speak to an audience who wasn't drunk and, you know, that world had never occurred to me. So 
I watched him on that video and I thought that is a cool job he's got there. And so I'm going to learn how to do that. Well, you know, he was one of my, um, or we're about the same age. I'm 63. And he's um, one of my earliest mentors. I remember was Zig Ziglar. And I just love the way, um, well, he also talked about his wife, the redhead and, yeah. and he's, you know, he, he was very open. He, he didn't mind talking about his faith and just everything saying, you know, if you don't have success at home, you don't have success at work. You know, I got to meet him uh, literally two years before he died. He signed a $20 bill. So that was a highlight of my career. But so was, was he one of the role models? Did you, I mean, Zig had his own unique way of speaking. He was one of my role models. In fact, um, you know, for the first two years, as I was sort of cutting my teeth and trying to find myself in the speaking world, I emulated Zig Ziglar quite a bit, which was odd because I'm from Ottawa, Canada, and Zig was from Yazoo City, Mississippi. I mean, we didn't exactly sound the same, but yeah. <laughs> I kept invoking the spirit of Zig Ziglar. And then finally, you know, I got, I found my own voice. But one of the reasons why he was such an important element in my life was not just his speaking. And I, I want to tell you this story that to me uh, really defines Zig Ziglar as a person. So I live in Ottawa, Canada, and I'm, I was maybe 23 years old or so, and he was speaking in Montreal. And so I bought a ticket and I went to the event and it was in a big hall in a hotel. So I went and I had one of my books from him, Secrets of Closing the Sale. And I thought maybe if I'm lucky, I might get him to sign it. So I got there an hour early and my thought process was if I can get into the venue, I can get a good seat because it wasn't assigned seating. So I opened the door to the venue, this big massive hall, and it was the door was open and the hall was empty. So I walked right up to the front and I thought, I'm going to put my jacket and my book on the front row seat. And as I'm doing that, I look up on the stage and there is Zig Ziglar. And in those days, he used overheads. Remember the, the transparent? Oh, overheads? yeah. Yeah, he was using those and he was setting them up. And so I walked up and I said, Mr. Ziglar, would you sign my book? And so, um, you know, he asked me my name and we chatted for maybe five minutes. And then he excused himself, you know, Steve, I got to, it's been nice meeting you. I got to get ready. And so that was great. And so that I had that experience. And then a year later, Jim, a year later, he came to speak in Ottawa. And I thought, you know what? It worked once. It ought to work again. So I got to the venue an hour early. The door was open. I walked in. I walk up to the front and Zig was on the stage and he looked at me and he said, hi, Steve. Are you kidding? And that was Zig Ziglar. That's, you know, he was, I was always a fan of his speaking, but that was the day I became a fan of Zig Ziglar, the man. That is, oh, I love that story because, you know, first of all, a joke about uh, my own, my own memory these days is more like a colander. <laughs> I have a hard time with <laughs> things, but that, I mean, that re he really was a people person. That, that's so awesome. I love that story. So Steve, people who are familiar with my story know that I've had a lifelong fear of public speaking. I almost didn't graduate high school because I didn't get up in front of the class. I would be out that day when it was my turn in history to stand and read from the book and things like that. But after, um, I guess I was about seven years into my, uh, my journey as an entrepreneur, I started writing books and people were inviting me out to speak. And I'm like, Oh, thank you so much. I'm flattered, but I'm very busy, which was a complete lie. <laughs> and, um, but I learned how to become a speaker and turns out I'm pretty good at it and I enjoy it. So what's the, I mean, that what's the big hang up? I mean, it's fear of, uh, being ridiculed, you know, just not knowing what to say, like, what's the biggest thing with the people that you work with? How do you help them overcome that fear? 
Well, I think, you know, that's a, that's a very personal thing. And the work that I do, you know, when I was starting my business, I worked a lot with people overcoming the fear. You know, now I work with more professional seasoned speakers. But back then, you know, what I would do is, is help them understand that their value is in their story and in their message. And so for some people, what I would do is help them understand that if you have a story, if you have a message, if you have something on your heart or in your soul that needs to be shared with this world, you don't just have an opportunity to do that. You have an obligation to do that. And if you can take your story, your message and yourself and place yourself in a position of service, then the fear seems to not matter so much. Now, there are some tactical things we could do, you know, that I always teach people, but really the foundation of the fear is usually about being judged, usually about fear of failure. Yeah. And so what I found is if I can help people put the mindset in a position of service where they're not there to speak as much as they are to serve. And when they put themselves into that mindset of service, oftentimes it's not that the, the fear goes away, but they're able to stand in face of the fear because now they have a greater purpose beyond themselves. So this is the way I always did it. You know, I mean, as you know, been on the stage, you know, since the age of six years old, that's a lot of, a lot of years. And I still get nervous every single time I speak. And, but what I do is in my mind, I put myself in that position of service. I am here to serve this audience. And I have an obligation to deliver the very best of me, whatever that looks like, void of judgment, void of, of you know, relenting to the fear. So what I found is when people can put themselves in that mindset of service, it really helps them not remove the fear, but stand in face of the fear. Wow. One of the things that, um, that has helped me and I, I share with my um, small business clients is that uh, I make the decision that I choose to be judged on the value of the content, the information, the training, et cetera, that I share and not the imperfect way I share it because I am imperfect. <laughs> you know, my books, I'm sure I could proofread them 9,000 times. I'll still find a missing comma, you know, uh, just interviewing people and, and doing things that I do are, is not perfect, but I know that the information that I share has real value. And that's what I choose to hang my, my hat on. It seems simple, but for me, it works. Hundred percent. You know, uh, um, I'm not a slick speaker either. You know, you'll even in these interviews, you're going to hear lots of ums and ahs and stutters, and I don't really care about those things so much. I mean, it's you know, I can be slick and smooth and all those things, but to me, that's very secondary because, as you said, it's the value of the information. And 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 so what I'm always telling people is this: I'm always saying, you know, speaking is not a transference of information. Speaking is a transference of emotion, and what that means is. I can get you to know what I know without speaking. I can send you a PowerPoint slide deck or a ebook and you can go to the bathroom and read it and I can transfer, you know, what I know to, to your brain. That's not what speaking is for. Speaking is about getting you to feel about my message the way I feel about my message. So in order to do that, I need to get past your intellect and into your imagination. And I need to shake your beliefs. I need to rattle your paradigms, change your perspective, challenge your expectations. I need to change something within you. That information alone cannot change. And so to do that, I've got to get beyond the slickness. I got to get beyond the pressure to be perfect, just like you said. And I've got to allow myself to express the message in whatever way 
is going to get past your intellect and into your imagination and affect whatever change I'm trying to make in you. And that way, I feel like I can put my message in, in front of people and it will be received by the people who are meant to receive it. And that's all I can ask for. And the flip side of that, as you know, well, I'm sure, Steve, is that it's going to be received by the people who are meant to receive it. And, you know, all marketing is designed to do two things, attract the right people, but repel the wrong people, right? Some people just aren't going to dig your style. <laughs> Some people think I'm just way too off the cuff or unpolished, and that's okay. You know what I mean? You're not, you're not cut out for everybody. 100%. You know, um, there's... The thing is about speaking is we can't get into this trap of trying to please everybody, right? And, and like you said, there's always going to be the hecklers, there's always going to be the naysayers, there's always going to be the people who don't resonate. And that is actually part of the desired outcome, just like you said, you know, that that's okay. They don't have to, they don't have to like me, they don't have to agree with me. I, I just would prefer that they hear me and then make their decision based on the information or based on, you know, an educated decision to follow me or not follow me or to agree or disagree. But I only really speak to those who will be spoken to. Yeah. Um, so I want my listeners to know you have uh, three books, Emerge, um, one I was checking out on Amazon, From Stage Fright to Spotlight, 99 Speaker Secrets to Breaking the Rules and Mastering the Stage. But I want to ask you about this, uh, your third book, uh, Deep Thought Strategy. What does that mean? What is Deep Thought Strategy, Steve? So deep thought strategy is a methodology for entrepreneurs, you know, um, coaches, trainers, speakers, authors, consultants, people who are in a very competitive world. And it's a process by which they can find a message that makes them appear to be different from everybody else. And it's not just about differentiation. So I'll give you a very, very simple example of the concept of deep thought strategy. So when I speak in front of an audience, I will often ask this question, whether it's you know virtual or live. I'll often ask this question. I'll say, put up your hand if you or somebody you know is in the market for a tennis instructor. And generally, very few hands go up. So I'll ask you, you know, Jim, do, do you know anybody who's in the market for a tennis instructor? Nope. No, and no hands ever really go up. I think I've done this all over the world to thousands, tens of thousands of people. And I think maybe one or two hands have ever gone up. Nobody's walking to the earth saying, I wish I had a tennis instructor unless they are actually looking for tennis instructions. So then what I do is I say to the audience, you know, let's say there's, I don't know, hundred people here. I'm going to guess that at least 30 of you are either in the market for a tennis instructor right now, or you know, somebody who is. And I'm going to go on a real big limb here, Captain Jim, and I'm going to suggest that you actually know somebody who's in the market for a tennis instructor right now. And then, of course, the, you know, the question is, well, how are you going to prove that, Steve? So I tell him about this guy named Brian. Brian came to me about 18 years ago, and he says, Steve, I'm going to all the networking events. I'm meeting all the people. I'm getting all the business cards, making all the calls. He said, I'm just not getting the business that I need. And I said, well, Brian, what do you do? He says, I'm a tennis instructor. So we taught Brian this principle about differentiation. You know, we, we taught him that you don't actually have to be different from anybody who does what you do. You only have to appear to be different. And one way to appear to be different is by changing the language that you use. And so if you saw Brian today and you said, Brian, what do you do? If you were chatting with him, he'd say, you know, I see so many kids who have so much energy, they're bouncing off the walls and, and the parents get so frustrated because they have no idea what to do with these kids. And he'd say, well, what I do is I take kids of any age. I bring them on a tennis court. I absolutely exhaust them. 
and then I hand them back to their parents. And then I asked the audience, put up your hand if you know somebody who might be in the market for a tennis instructor. <laughs> you and, reframed it, right? Right. And all of a sudden, all these hands go up. Now, that's just a, you know, a, a demonstration of this concept. It's a demonstration of by changing the way you think about your market a little bit and by changing the way you speak about yourself can mean the difference between I'm not interested and tell me more. So the concept of deep thought strategy is this. The concept of deep thought strategy is um, developing a message from your wisdom and expertise that does this. It demonstrates your unique understanding of your market's condition from a perspective they have never considered before. So with the Brian, the tennis instructor story, it's like people think I, I, I would never draw a straight line between my, you know, my kids bouncing off the walls and tennis instructor. I would not make that draw that line. So our job oftentimes in order to stand out as entrepreneurs, if we, if we don't have a major differentiator is to appear to be different by reconnecting the lines and reconnecting the lines by bringing the audience or your markets or your prospects awareness to a problem that either they never knew they had or a problem that they would never identify with what you do and then draw the straight line. And the reason it's called deep thought strategy is because this methodology takes you deeper into your business than most people ever go. And we're looking for tangents in there that have been previously hidden. Mm, good stuff. In your book, uh, From Stage Fright to Spotlight, you talk in uh, chapter six, Steve, about using PowerPoint sparingly, which mm -hmm. I assume means, you know, video, everything, right? Anything other than you speaking. What's, what is your belief on using, uh, just call them speaker's aids of all kinds? So speaker's aids are, are fine. What I find, I don't have any problem with PowerPoint. I just, you know, most people use it, in my judgment, very, very, very poorly because they use it as a speaker's aid. And PowerPoint slides, in my judgment, should not be a speaker's aid. If you need speaker's aid, you know, if, if you need the pictures to come up before you speak on something, then in my judgment, you're not properly prepared. Right. What I say to people is you need to go through your content until your content comes through you. And that is how you prepare at, at the you know, professional level. The thing about PowerPoint is this. The way I view it is if there is absolutely no other way to get my point across, then I'll use a PowerPoint slide. And people say, well, Steve, what about the visual learners? Here's what I've learned. Showing a picture on a PowerPoint slide does not necessarily address visual learners any differently than your words. So what I've learned is that the way the brain works is that you can take a, you know, look at a picture and it takes a snack, snapshot of the picture and it'll see it. Um, but it's often better if you help the audience create their own picture in their own mind using your words. And so I'll, I'll do this with an audience. I'll say, I'm going to say three words, and then I'm going to ask you some questions about the three words. And I'll say these three words. I'll say young, beautiful bride. And then I'll point to people in the audience. I'll say, what color is her hair? You know, what color is her dress? Where is she standing? Is she alone or is she with somebody? And I'll get all this detail that I did not provide because those three words plant a picture in the audience's mind. And now they become architects of the story as opposed to a passive recipient. Now, I could take a PowerPoint slide and I could throw up a picture of a young, beautiful bride. And what happens is I rob them of the experience of becoming part of the story.
And this is what so many speakers do is they use PowerPoint, either bullet points or they use PowerPoint uh, so that there's a visual up there, but most of them use it as a speaker's aid. Now, I'm not against speaker's aids. I'm just saying that if you, if you are relying on them, then you may not be properly prepared. There are ways to prepare that, there, that will not require visual speaking aids that are obvious to the audience. And the audience can tell if you're using them as speaker aids or if you're using them effectively to, you know, to, uh, um, to support your point. You know, what's interesting is I think some people, even when they hear the term speaker aids, are thinking, is it uh, something that's going to help the speaker get his point across? In other words, it's an, it's an enhancement for the audience. But no, speaker aids really means a speaker's crutch almost, right? Oftentimes that's the case. That, that is, yes, that's right. That's true. Now, you know, I think it's important for us if we need to use aids to get the point across that we do. So for example, I use a flip chart. I mean, I speak in front of, you know, thousands of people. I use a flip chart. In fact, I use two flip charts. And the reason I use flip charts, number one, is because the audience looks at it and they go, flip charts, what are those things, you know? Um, but the other thing is I in interact with them. I can scribble on them. I can slap them and pound on them and move them. And, and, and I get I interact with them a lot. I can't do that with PowerPoint slides. PowerPoint slides are static. Now, I'll tell you one example of a, a very effective use of PowerPoint um, that comes to my mind is one of my clients. Um, he developed this process called neuroscaping. And what he does is he goes to these very large conventions, you know, multi-million dollar conventions, and he teaches them how to craft everything in the entire event so that it aligns with the neuro processes in the audience's mind. And it's all about different levels of engagement. And so we created a presentation for him and using PowerPoint slides behind him on, the, on this massive LED screen, he was able to show PowerPoint slides that, um, de that demonstrated what he was talking about. So he talked about one concept called awe induction. And he says, here's how important awe induction is in your, uh, in your um, event. And while he's doing that, there's a massive video playing behind him on PowerPoint that the audience kind of looks at it and goes, whoa, you know, he induces awe through the slides while he's talking about the concept of awe induction. That wow. is a good use of PowerPoint. That sure is. Um, you know, and still re re referencing your book from stage right to spotlight, I couldn't help but notice your, uh, you, you drew upon your musician background. Don't just mm -hmm. play the notes, play the music in chapter nine. Yep. What a great, what a great headline, sub or sub headline, I guess. Yeah. And that comes from, that comes from watching so many speakers who have trained to been trained to be mechanical. There are some speaker organizations and training programs who will train them how to stand uh, you know, how, here's how you open, here's how you close, and here's, here's where you gesture and how you gesture and all of those things. And they become very, very mechanical. And to me, that is just playing the notes. Uh, and as a musician, you know, when I, when I was playing my guitar, I can play the notes, but it's not the same as playing the music. The, the notes come from the guitar. The music comes from the soul. And it's the same when you're speaking. I can speak words, but that's not where the power is. The power is everything that comes behind those words. And so it's not about mechanically opening correctly or closing correctly or, you know, saying things the right way, although those things are important but they're not the most important. These are just, you know, this is, uh, you know, these are details that we can uh, shine up as we go, 
the music is getting in front of a live audience or a virtual audience, getting past their intellect and changing them, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, so that they become more than they were before you started. That's playing the music. Wow. You know, I mentioned that you're a, uh, an award-winning speaker and author. And one of the things I believe uh, you, you help <clears throat> your clients with is how to actually sell more from the way they speak. And I think, please correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, think differently, speak differently is how you actually sell more. I think I was pretty close to that. Yeah, you're, you are. You're, you're very close. You're bang on, actually. So there's a, a number of different methodologies to selling from the platform. You know, there's the there's the high pressure stacked offer, you know, thing, uh, which is which is good. And, and I can do that. And I, I don't usually do that. Um, there are people who make millions of dollars doing that. You know, uh, this is where the audience sort of feels pressured and all of those things. And there's very good ways to do that. I choose not to do that. I choose to do it a different way. And so the way I choose to do it is this, uh, you know, I think differently about the audience, just like Brian, the tennis instructor example, what is the problem that my audience has, or what are they facing in the nature of their condition where that I can reveal to them something that they didn't consider before. And so I have a process I use to do that. So the audience kind of goes like this, they go, you know, ah, I've never thought of it like that before. You know, I've never seen it like that before. That's me. I'm like that. And I don't want to be there. I want to be somewhere else. So I, I try and invoke that type of response from the audience. And then I speak differently because what I do is I don't talk about my programs. I don't talk about what I do and, and all of those things. What I share with them are things that they can use to solve the problem of which they be just recently became aware and then at the end of it all, they, you know, they, they come and they say, well, how do I do that? What's the next step kind of thing? So I try a bit of a more magnetic approach. And that's what Deep Thought Strategy does is it, it helps you change the way you think about your audience and your market, even if you're not speaking, if you're you know, just through all your marketing, if you change the way you think about your market a, a little bit and then change the way you speak about yourself, then it creates intrigue in the mind of the audience because they go, I've never heard it quite like that before. So many people, I'm sure you've discovered this too, just think they're not good at sales or they think sales are icky. Ooh, I hate to sell. Well, guess what? If you're, if you're a small business owner and you're not selling, you're, you're not a small business. I mean, you need revenue to be a small business owner, right? So you, you, it's, it is a problem that needs to be solved. It absolutely is. And this process seems to solve it for a lot of people. The challenge, though, is at the end of the day, at the end of the conversation, there needs to be a transaction, just like you said. So there needs to be a way for people to become comfortable exchanging money for their expertise. If they can't get past that, then you're right. There's, there's, you know, there, there's not going to be much business happening there. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, so I want to ask you real quick, because we got about uh, three minutes left. I know you got some online courses and things like that. How do you generally work if somebody wants to reach out to you and they, and they want help to become a better speaker? Do you work one-on-one? -on -one? Is it like a virtual situation or how do you work with your clients? Yeah, there's three different ways that we can explore working together. And of these days, of course, it's all it's all virtual. In fact, it's been virtual for a long time. But three three ways we can explore working together. One is a one-on-one -on -one mentorship type relationship where you know we get together over a schedule that we both agree on and we work one-on-one -on -one over a period of time. A second way is through some groups that we have. We have uh, group programs that start every quarter 
uh, and their annual, they take a year, you know, a year long program. And it's all about deep thought strategy and something I call the perfect sales system and how to craft your message, this, this unique deep thought strategy message, how to present it, and then how to do a sales conversation, all of that over the course of a year. And then the third way we can explore working together is through my online courses, which are all found on my, uh, on my website. So, you know, for, you know, less than a hundred bucks, you can go in there and learn some really cool things. That's Steve Lowell at S-T-E-V-E-L-O-W-E-L-L.com, stevelowell.com. What a pleasure uh, talking with you, a, a, a fellow speaker, somebody who's uh, actually done pretty well for himself in the speak, which is no small feat, by the way. There, I mean, I don't know if it's uh, bigger than starving artists, but being a speaker and being able to earn a living as a speaker is no, is no small challenge. You know, I think that speaking is one of the highest paid professions in the entire world, but it, it's a lot like acting because there are so many people claiming to be actors and so many people claiming to be speakers, right? Anybody who can fog a mirror stands up and says, hey, I'm a speaker. And so there's a lot of competition for stages out there, both virtual and live. But speaking can be one of the most highest paid professions on the entire planet. If you know how to do these things, if you have the skill to do it, if you've got the substance in your content, if you've got a, a tactical structure, and if you've got a sales process, you could spend your entire life living on a boat if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? Well, the only thing about that right now is the price of diesel fuel, but let's not, mm. let's, I don't want to make Captain Jim cry right now. So we'll just <laughs> forget we brought that up. Steve, I, I gave your website. Is there some uh, other place that you want to give out as far as a good place to connect with you and learn from you? Yeah. One thing that people could do if they really want to talk, if they're serious about, you know, if you're serious about sitting down and exploring how you can elevate your business through speaking, then book a call with me. Go to uh, meetstevelowell.com. That's my calendar link. Uh, and it'll ask you to, to pick three times. It'll send me an email and we'll select one and we'll spend half an hour together. And we'll talk about uh, how I might be able to help you go forward. That's meetstevelowell.com. That's awesome. Steve, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate your, uh, your information today. And by the way, I think it was perfect. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Thank you, Captain Jim. Listen, I, I wish you and, and your wife, uh, you know, uh, St Stephanie, right? Your wife? Yes. Yeah. Um, I wish you guys safe, uh, safe traveling and, uh, you know, um, just stay away from all the rough weather and have a great life. Have a great thank time. You. Thank you so much. Steve Lowell, uh, stevelowell.com. And um, you can connect with me at getjimpalmer.com. That's my home base. That's where everything spider webs off of. Getjimpalmer.com. If you're interested in the Dream Business Mastermind Coaching Program, that's Dream Biz Coaching, Dream B-I-Z Coaching.com. But that's it. Until this time next week, another fantastic interview. I am Captain Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach, and you take good care. Now it's time to go implement what you've learned. Great ideas are nice, but results only happen through action and implementation. So stay focused. Kick all distractions to the curb. Sleep a little less if you have to. And create your dream business now so you too can live your dream lifestyle. To learn about building your dream business, join Jim's free Dream Business Facebook community at dreambizgroup.com. That's dreambizgroup.com. <laughs> See you next week for more Dream Business Radio.